Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. Uh, busy week of football, big week, busy week of transfers, uh, as you might have noticed. Although we're still waiting for yet another one to drop. Last week we had Coutinho leaving, but this week it looks like Alexis Sanchez is finally going to get his wish. And here to break that all down with me, Ed Malian, uh, is uh, Miguel Delaney, chief football writer of The Independent. Miguel, hello. Hello. How are you? Good, good. A bit tired. You've got a late from Anfield. An army style yeah. uh, kind of metal teacup uh, in which you have some overly milky tea. Well, I, that was unintentional. You've got uh, a spoon dangling out of it. You know, what's going on with you right now? Uh, I needed the caffeine hit. Got back late from Anfield last night and was in a rush to get in here to record this podcast. And we appreciate uh, you coming in nearly as much as we appreciate me coming in on my holiday. Uh, Jack, Jack Pitbrook. Welcome. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, very good, thank you. You uh, were not at Anfield yesterday. Instead, you were at the nadir of the uh, Wenger reign at Arsenal, perhaps... Yeah, they were terrible. I mean, I, was it the worst I've seen Arsenal play recently? Probably not. I mean, there's so there are so many, there's so much competition that it's difficult to choose to choose the worst. We just as a slight challenge just to start. We were discussing this after the game yesterday. I mean, how many really, really, really kind of career end or career ending days have Arsenal had in the last decade? I mean, mm-hmm. the six one against Chelsea, the five one against Liverpool. <laughs> Even on the, the, do you remember the Bradford? defeat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i remember would you, that would you actually forget now that was it? probably about three years ago mm. now i mean that, that was i think was that around december 2013 or 2012 that was i mean it was before i even moved to spain Thir- it must be 13 or 14 i think it was 12 to december 2012 so this talk has been around a long I time like the one that stands out for well, me the A2 was 2011 yeah, <laughs> yeah august 2011 yeah the one that stands out for me is the 3-0 defeat at Crystal Palace in about March or April of last season. They were after, after which, like, Wenger was just barracked by all the Arsenal fans. And I remember th- th- writing, like, I mean, this can't go on. Like, there's no, this is completely unsustainable. And yet they've managed to sustain it for another year. Like, they haven't, nothing's changed. They're as bad as they ever were. And what was really, what was so awful about the game that I was at yesterday was, like, there was no, it was not like Bournemouth like harassed and pushed them into this win and like there was no Bournemouth siege or pressure. Like in my, in my, in my match report, I barely mentioned Bournemouth once. I was thinking afterwards, is that like, is that unfair? Am I just being, am I just focusing on the big team? No, like it's completely fair enough. Like mm-hmm. Bournemouth did nothing to earn the win. One really. win in 12. Arsenal, <laughs> Arsenal gifted them the two goals. Like even, I mean, the game it most reminded me of was back in October when Arsenal lost 2-1 at Watford. Again, where they were 1-0 up, they had yeah. the game under control, then gifted away two stupid goals in the second half. Like, their capacity to beat themselves in games that, like, a proper team would never lose you know, is amazing. You're, you're in the game, and an agent actually that, um, has done work with Arsenal. He just, he, like, he sent me a screenshot of their um, formation. How many of these players would actually get within a mile of a Champions League team these days? Like just to, beyond the Ozil Sanchez, just to emphasise how much work has to be done on this team. And he picked out three. He didn't. He didn't include Wilshere, which may maybe a bit harsh. Um, but like well, Bellerin, 
Bellerin, uh, Mustafi is a kind of a squad player, and uh, we uh, that's debatable. Um, and who's the other one? Oh, Lacazette. Uh, Mustafi reminds me of Thomas Marlon. Like, he's so... I, I get that he's quite a good leader, and he actually does more organising on the pitch mm. than Koscielny does. But, like, Jesus, like, he's so reckless. But, but, he but, jumps into everything. He's so rash. But how many times have we seen now Wenger sign... A, 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 there must be a 15 cases of this in the last decade, where Wenger signs a defender. That defender actually starts quite well. Because it happened with Callum Chambers and Rob Holding. And then within a month, their form just plummets, and, like, this is an irredeemable situation. Yeah, it must be an absolute nightmare to be a defender there, because there's no, like... Like there's no kind of in-depth, detailed tactical instruction on the on the training mm. ground, so you're thrown into it. But you're thrown into a team which plays incredibly expansively, which pushes pushes far up the pitch, which is very vulnerable on the counter attack, yeah. and you're completely exposed. It's not even like going to go and play for Burnley, for example, where you're set up in such a compact way that you've always got people around you to protect you. Which is why, say, like Tarkovsky settled in well yeah, yeah. since replacing Michael Keane this season. If you're Callum Chambers or Rob Holding going into that Arsenal team, you're on a hiding to nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like because you can't even. You can't even show how good you are as an individual because you're just uh, unless you got kind of like freakishly gifted in a kind yeah. of Van Dyke way. And, and, and even then, the like, you're going to be massively exposed. Yeah, if that's it. They're exposed. That's completely. Like Chambers and Holding get massively exposed every week, mm. and it's not because they're rubbish. Like they're probably quite good. And if they'd gone to a different team, they might be better by now. Yeah. But it's um, yeah, they're just massively up against it. What started as a tangent is now. Uh, I guess we should probably deal with this game properly. But then again, what else is there to say? Because what happens next is I ask you what they need to do and we all know what the answer is to yeah. that. And it does feel, it does actually feel this time as if there is some sort of change coming because they are, they are instigating changes behind the scenes to an extent. So yeah. for example, Sven Mislintat, who uh, is apparently the savior of Arsenal Football Club, is, has been brought in as, as new chief scout or head of recruitment, recruitment czar, whatever mm. his title is. Um, they've replaced Dick Law with Sanlaki uh, from Barcelona. But, e- but, e- but even the Sven Mislintat thing, I was at Wenger oh, two weeks ago, was it? And it was brought up about kind of how it'll work between him and this this new, like, because they've made, what, 11 backroom appointments since last June. Yeah. And uh, Wenger was asked, you know, so what 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 will Mislintat do? How it'll work? He goes, oh, and he was, he's quite dismissive, I thought. Oh, we already know all the players in the world. He he will just give us information at a small German club that we might have ignored. Like, which... But it, it was mentioned, wasn't it, when he arrived, that it wasn't necessarily a Wenger Yeah, he's, well, exactly, he's exactly. a Gazi disappointment. But, but, but the, the point being, I suppose, that even as they're trying to usher in the new, there's this, there's this conflict with the... Not conflict, but there's this just a tension or this kind of, you know, unspoken barrier. Well, it was... But sm- he does have power. Like, he is... I mean, he, he not Wenger, is the person behind signing yeah. Malcolm. yeah. Like, Mislintat tried to sign Malcolm uh, when he was still at Dortmund. And now he's at Arsenal. He knows the kind of Brazilian, Ma- Malcolm's Brazilian agents. Mm. And therefore, he's the one pushing the deal, not Wenger. Obviously, like, Wenger has the power not to pick him. Mm. But then when your front three is Welbeck, Lacazette and Iwobi, who've got hardly any goals between them in the last few months, yeah. then you probably, he probably will end up having to pick Malcolm <laughs> anyway. Well, this guy's quite good. Yeah, I go back to previous AGMs where... For everything that's said at the AGM basically makes it clear that Wenger is essentially the CEO of, of Arsenal as well. Like he has an ultimate sign-off on virtually everything that happens in the entire club. His title is first-team manager, but he is almost president because mm-hmm. he seems to, you know, they, they, they say in a complimentary fashion that he knows everyone at the club, he knows everyone's name, etc., etc., etc. But he also, in the way that Fergie was, you know, was is that dictatorial CEO. Mm. And I feel like... You know, he still wants to make sure that everyone knows that Mislintat is under his 
kind of under his yeah. control directly reports to him rather than being some sort of parallel figure or you know like a traditional sporting director or head of recruitment guy might be more over the top but yeah, they're, not, they're, they're not calling uh, Sen Lehi uh, a, a t- director of football. Oh, what they yeah. Call, yeah, no. It's, what, it's, what's uh, his title? Fudge of a title. Is it football operations? So director yeah. of football operations <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> uh, anything else on Arsenal before we move on to the best game of Sunday? Uh, nothing that we haven't said before. I mean, they're terrible. They're getting worse. Their best player is desperate to leave, and rightly so. Ozil. I mean, they are pushing really hard now to get Ozil. Yeah, gonna to, yeah. to tie him down. Mm. What would it say about Ozil if he signed, though? Like, no, no, he, yeah. he, I mean, he joined Arsenal from Real Madrid. Arsenal now in sixth. What would be the more Arsenal thing? For Ozil to walk away because they're so painfully average, or for Ozil to just sign another five-year massive money deal and swan around and disappear for big games? I think the most Arsenal thing would probably be to lose Ozil and to lose Jack Wilshere as well. Who currently oh, Wilshere's contract's running out yeah, as well. Like, well mm-hmm. I mean, they're trying to get Wilshere to accept a new deal. Nothing's agreed yet. Yeah. I think Wilshere does want to stay, but... You know, if if Arsenal get worse and worse, it would be interesting to see but, what he does if he gets better offers in the summer. But the other side, it's not just these players who are potentially kind of quite sought after, even, you know, Wil- Wilshire's last few years notwithstanding. It's also players like Nacho Manreal, who's a good, solid squad player, an outright first-team starter recently. His contract's up in a year. So the amount of re- rebuilding they have to do... Ramsey's is, up next year. Yeah. Welbeck's up next year. Like that Ramsey is a player who, you know, City have been really interested in the past. Juventus, mm. so they've got to tie down Ramsey. Welbeck... I'm not sure how fast they are about keeping, yeah. but you know the whole the, the the problem is that they've got so much work to do just to keep their level. Like they're naturally they're going to get worse when they lose their yeah. best players, and yet Wenger is desperate to kind of over, oversee the sinking ship. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> a complete disaster, and there's no reason to believe that it's going to get better. Captain Ahab, soon. I don't know, and and you know especially when they, I feel what they need when Wenger does eventually go is is someone like new and completely like who you can kind of tie down and is going to be a long-term thing. The talk of like Ancelotti and Allegri yeah. being like, it's like, oh, but also it, it looks as if they're going to try and go to this kind of um, head coach model. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which, but, and I, I think in the long term, that's the way to go, but it does feel like when Wenger goes, they will need a force of personality just to kind of, you know, energize the club a bit again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Completely. In, in the way like that, David Moyes did not. Yeah. yeah they yes. need a kind of, it's not. It's absolutely not the time for a safe pair of hands. Like yeah. we've, said, we've said this before, Carlo Ancelotti is a great manager for keeping things ticking over. Nothing is ticking over at Arsenal. <laughs> yeah. no. They need. They need someone to give them a sort of relaunch. The you only know, thing ticking is the clock on Meza Özil's contract. And with Bang. that, we end uh, so smooth, Arsenal smooth. <laughs> uh, section because I'm just bored of it because we've just said it, we said it all so many times. Miguel of the Tinkling Cup, you were at Anfield yeah. uh, for Liverpool Man City. See, this is a much better game. It's much more interesting because both clubs here have interesting stuff. Uh, Liverpool, I guess we, we should talk about first. They won 4-3. They beat Manchester City. Ended the unbeaten dream, the invincible hope. Hmm. Uh, give me your, your three main takeaways in less than 300 words. Do I have one takeaway? No, uh, I think one of the more interesting things was Klopp's comments afterwards about how when you play City, if you want to beat them, you have no alternative but to attack. Which, of course... Was that, was that a, a veiled dig at Jose Mourinho? Uh, possibly. It, he didn't kind of volunteer that out of nothing. He was asked... Um, like Oli Kay put it to him, basically saying, you know, you got beaten 5-0 in your last game against City. Uh, had you, you went very brave today, and had you got beaten, the criticism would have been obvious, but, you know, it's 
to your credit, you took that decision, then you go, well, I feel you have no alternative. Uh, and I think it is an interesting debate. Uh, I've actually, I've written a piece in this that should be coming up, well, it should be out before this podcast comes out. But I think Klopp, on the whole, is right. He's not right in every circumstance, but ultimately, like, I suppose since Mourinho... Mourinho's Inter, who were a brilliant defensive team against Barca in 2010, and then who in Switzerland played Spain in the 2010 World Cup, there has been this trend that if you take on a high-possession team like that, all you can do is just sit back, frustrate them, uh, congest the space and hit them on the break. But the other thing about that is, and especially against this city, who are kind of so, so live-wire and so many live-wire attackers, is it doesn't just become a battle against them, it becomes a battle against the clock, because if you allow a team that much of the ball, that much time around your box, it's kind of being a statistical probability that they'll score. And as Klopp said, it comes down to a lottery, uh, the, the look of whether you... Yeah, yeah. You, whereas if you, if you go at them, you've got a better chance of beating them, but the flip side is, you're more likely to be thrashed and make it look worse. Well, I, or not more likely, as in you're more likely to be trashed than if you sit back. Well, you've got to look at that Man City team, and especially when someone like Danilo comes on, you're looking at where is the weak point in the Manchester City team? It's obviously in that back four. So can you take on the back four? And I, I kind of, I see the, you want to defend deep and you want to be compact and stuff, but you, you do at some point have to try and threaten that back four because that is the only weakness in the side. And um, yeah, I was talking to someone on Saturday about the, the Palace Man City a couple of weeks ago where Palace obviously should have won with that last minute penalty and didn't. Um, but having someone like Zaha who can pin back a fullback mm. and take and take them on is the thing. And Liverpool, are the best equipped team to do yeah, that yeah. to Manchester City in, in the Premier League. Uh, at push, you could say, you know, if, if Sanchez and Lacazette were on their game, maybe you know, they, you know, you know, have to attack the pace and the break as well to do it. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to play Rashford. You'd have to play Martial. Yeah. Uh, it would re- it would require a team selection. That I don't think Jose Mourinho would ever be bold enough yeah, to do. Yeah, no. Where I think Jurgen Klopp was. Um, Salah, Mane, Firmino. I mean, it's, it's express pace. It's fast carrying of the ball. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's always going to be problematic for a, a defence. And then what you have to do is say, can Liverpool's defence hold out? Now, like some of the defending when they were, you know, they're four and up, and then they it came back to four three, and they couldn't score the equaliser. But like but Lovren that, missing he, the header. Even that spell was so weird because it wasn't like it was a concerted spell of. Uh, it wasn't like a city siege where you felt like, oh, oh wow, they're really building. What resilience here? They got kind of two cheap goals and suddenly, oh, what? Some of the. Do you remember the De Bruyne pass out to Sane? Yeah, out on the left where he just, I don't know how like swirling sort of sand wedge that you in, in out. pretty bad wind as well yeah and it, it, just some of the stuff was was phenomenal and you look at their attacking play man city and you do think you know it's it's a pretty special team still but they were exposed in about that 5 minute period where everything fell apart yeah. do, you, do, one, do, do you one, think they missed david silva cuz yeah gundogan is obviously really good but he does speed city up a lot and i think sometimes with silva even under Guardiola, without David Silva, City lack a bit of brains, or like they lack someone to slow the game down. They've only got one. They kind of always play in fast forward, basically, when it's Gundogan instead yeah. of David Silva. A little bit of that, and but also I think, and this isn't take away from Liverpool who are brilliant, and this is a consequence of how they play. But it was almost like a perfect storm for City in that it wasn't just that everything went wrong in a few minutes, but Liverpool were on on such a high that everything came off them. I mean, yeah. first of all, the way Firmino kind of. Robbie Fowler, Gary Neville's uh, stones to chip it over. Mane's finish is incredible, and then he, even the way the ball fell for Salah, like it was yeah, just, yeah. it was just, everything just fell right for Liverpool. The, the for, me that, finish. For, for me, that Firmino goal reminded me of a goal that Falcao scored at City mm. in the, when City beat Monaco five three in the Champions League last year. It was similar in the sense there was a ball into that kind of inside left channel, 
and then Falcao was running onto it and basically came back inside Stones just like Firmino did, pushed him over, yeah. uh, and then came inside and, and chipped. Whether it was I can't remember the Bravo or Caballero in the, mm. in, in the City goal, but City got. I mean, both the centre-backs, both first Stones and then Otamendi got exposed by Salah for the Mane yeah. goal. And it was the kind of um, exposure to sort of one-on-one defending that City haven't really had to do too much of recently, or they yeah. usually come out unscathed. I think Firmino is interesting because there are almost no sides, or perhaps very few sides in Europe, where where he'd fit as a centre-forward. You know, it, it, he, he'd never played for a Jose Mourinho team. I can't... Uh, Jose would stick him out on the wing or... Uh, there are loads of coaches who would have him all over the place. Whereas Firmino in this team just works because he's, he is a foil. I, I feel like he is at times like a better link up forward than actually like a traditional number nine. But then that finish mm. is one of such supreme confidence in his own ability. I remember talking to someone at Hoffenheim when he joined and they were very happy with the money and, th- and they thought he was never perhaps going to be like an elite centre forward because maybe he didn't have enough goals in him. But He's so involved in that attack and he works so well with the express pace either side of him that this mm. Liverpool team on their day do look like they could beat anyone. And now that they've beaten Man City, who were what? If they weren't the best team in Europe this season, they were one of the two. two top three. One two, of the top three. three. Yeah. Liverpool in the Champions League are a dangerous team. Yeah. We have to say that they could. And now it'd be, I think they, they've got the potential in them for like a great European tie yeah. in this knockout round. Because if they can progress in the quarterfinals or whatever they believe in themselves mm. and Klopp believes in them so I think it's really interesting to see what happens with them any more points to add on this game Jack uh, the unbeaten season is done but you have to still think City are going to be strong for the title strong in the Champions League push yeah I'd be surprised if this had any kind of psychological impact and derailed City's no. season I think City are good and probably strong enough that they can survive this um, Next game, Newcastle at home as well. What, right. well, well, actually, what did, what did Pep say afterwards, Miguel? I didn't see he, that. He, to be fair, he was quite magnanimous. I mean, last season when they, were, when they suffered kind of similar defeats in worse spells of, of form, he was much chippier and passive-aggressive. Here he was a bit, you know, I told you guys we were never going to go unbeaten. Even with Klopp getting the better of him as well. Um, mm. There is actually uh, the perfect segue here, so we're going to make it. Um, City... You wonder if they might need a little boost to to boost their Champions League campaign. Yep. Alexis Sanchez, uh, in a little peek behind the the boring curtain of my administrative life, uh, I, last week I had to do a, a plan for this week in which we said that we expect the Alexis Sanchez to Manchester City deal to be confirmed. As it happens, it looks like he's going to be going to Manchester, but the other half of the city, Miguel. Um, this thing is flipped on its head pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, talk us through it. Yeah, uh, six days ago, you wouldn't have imagined we were talking about this. In fact, this day last week, I got a message early morning. Things happening very fast between City and Sanchez will be very soon. United then... Uh, well, United had actually made contact last summer, initially. And I think the soundings... Yeah, I remember, I remember you writing that last mm. summer, but... Soundings were decent, but the expectation was, well, he wants to go with Guardiola. Mm-hmm. City put so much more time into it. There was obviously the, the Guardiola connection. But... Um, Around this, t- well, around kind of halfway through last week, United got word that the the Sanchez party, and I, I, I imagine the uh, the agents were quite central to this word getting yes, around. Yes. That City were moving slowly. Sanchez was really agitated to get out of Arsenal as quickly as possible. So United made their move, and at first I think they were kind of just testing the waters, and kind of they didn't expect it to come off. But then <laughs> events took over. 
Uh, and, and in between Saturday night and Sunday, they really amped up the pressure on her because they essentially knew that City weren't going to up their, up their deal, which if Sanchez was still so intent on going there, it would have been more waiting. So United really, really played on that. We're willing to pay whatever it took in, to get the deal over the line, which was 10 million in agents' fees, a wage up to 400k, a 35 million fee or fee plus Mkhitaryan. Uh, and so we are now here where Sanchez is on the brink of going to United. So how do we view this deal? Like, I, I've got to look at this, right? Manchester United are going to get a top forward um, who works hard, which is kind of a Mourinho player, really, mm. you know, a hard-working forward like that. They're going to get him for about 25 million, say, transfer fee. And then the wages well, that they, are what they'd expect to pay for a top player. So Manchester United are effectively getting for 25 million a 60, 70 million pound striker. Mm. That's an incredibly good deal for them. E- e- even This the ex- is one they yeah. weren't expecting and, and they're going to strengthen their squad for below market value. Yeah. Um, what you can't then do uh, as Man United fans is try and plead the poverty that they were pleading <laughs> even as recently as two weeks ago. Yeah. So oh, you can't compete with Manchester City's spending. Well, you've just you've just literally up here. It's, 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 it, it it's, it's interesting the little twists that have happened this after... Since that, since that city defeat, we've heard so much about. Oh, he can't compete with Pep. You know, can't can't compete. He's been blessed with money, and now, just just a, a month after that, it's actually Guardiola and City who refuse to go the extra distance of money. Where you know, well, pay whatever it takes. Yeah. And in that as well. Now, I don't completely buy this as a binary choice, but 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 I suppose this has been a theme. Recent history has been inverted in that it's United to have to have to use basic finance to get a deal over the line rather than pure football, yeah. which of course ever in 2009 would have been unimaginable for people. Do you think that United spending big is a response to Jose saying they needed more money? A little bit, and I think, but I think this is more opportunity because even two weeks ago, in fact I think we discussed in the pod last mm-hmm. week that United want to do business, Mourinho wants to do business, but it mightn't happen due to players being cup-tied and just the nature of the January market. So I think there's an element of opportunity about this um, I think you have to be opportunistic in this spot. I think I actually think I think it's a good yeah. deal for Manchester United in terms of this is a player from the top bracket who they thought they could not get. They are now getting him yeah. instead of one of their principal rivals. Yeah, and it's really mo- good the, for the league in that sense. The money actually. isn't terrible. The only thing I would say, it does have the smell of how old is he? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Twenty nine in December. Yeah, he, t- he just heard. in two and a half years' time. I wonder if this contract will be a bit of a millstone round yeah. the neck. And, and uh, well, that happened to Van Persie. This is what I'm exactly, saying is, yeah, yeah. is I think with the age he is, I wouldn't want to be, cons- I wouldn't want to be, I, I don't mind yeah. the fee. I think the fee is really good for a player of his quality. I do think that if you're giving him the big contract and I'm very, very concerned about the length of it, I'd, yeah. if, it if it's like a four or five year deal, I'm not so hot on it. Yeah. I, I, and that he's, might no, be, I'd agree. He's going to, I mean, he's, he's going to burn out at some yeah. point. He's like, been playing well, since well, he was well, really well, young. Yeah, I was about to say that. Like, he runs really hard. Yeah. He's not, players like him don't maintain that level forever. Well, I, I, I was about to say that. I, 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 stood, I preface all this with the fact that I think this was a no-brainer for United because he's yeah, such a good yeah. player. No, I but, agree with that. But there are two things, yeah. First of all, as you say, he's one of those players who's based on energy and pace who's been playing, what, since 16, 17 as a pro. And there are very few players, unless they completely change the game, like Ryan Giggs, there are very few players that are able to sustain it past 30. Like we saw it's, with Michael Owen. It's so. actually amazing that he's managed to yeah. keep going at this level to 29. Yeah. Like there's plenty of play. I mean, Wayne Rooney, who is in some senses a similar player... Uh, like peaked at the age of 25 yeah. and by 29 was a long way down he has virtually been on holiday for a few months I guess yeah but the, but the second part of this as well is and again well it makes sense to just to throw him in 
United didn't specifically need his position or potential positions of player. They had other areas they needed to... Do you think he'll take kind of Rashford's place in that team? Yeah. After the front three? To be fair, I think he's versatile enough that he can kind of almost kind of dip in for any one of them. Get Rashford out on loan. I mean, to be honest, the obvious one is get, get, get Lukaku out of the team. You're right, I mean... <laughs> It's a much, it's a, it's a much. It feels like a <laughs> it, it does feel like they've actually d- already decided Zatan's just. He's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't really know. I, I think it's fundamentally it's, it's bad for Man United yeah. because Martial and Rashford. You want these guys to be playing. You want them to be developing. Uh, just to put across like, the other side of this, because they've done a deal like this on a ways like this, and because of Sanchez' mm. status, I would say this would completely undercut the possibility of signing a Griezmann or a Dybala in the summer. You can't you can't sign Griezmann and, and yeah. Sanchez, can you? There's... No, I mean, but I don't think... You know, we've written that Griezmann is more likely to go to Barcelona than Manchester United now. I think that's widely expected, hmm. as we've seen with Sanchez to City and last summer with Griezmann to Man United. These things are widely expected by everyone until they change. So it could always change. But um, yeah, it does seem difficult if you're forking out 400k a week on Alexis Sanchez that you could afford someone yeah. like Griezmann or, or Dybala. One thing I was wondering is, where does this leave City? I mean, look, the word coming from City on Friday was very much, we don't need him, we'd like him, but we've got Gabriel Jesus coming back in two mm. or three weeks' time, so he's not worth he's not worth spending the 35 million fee plus the agent fee plus the salary that United are going to do. But in reality, like, he's a player they really want yeah, to. He's yeah. a player they bid 60 million for yeah, a few yeah. months ago. Who Pat wanted to, to be work fair, again, that, that, I, that, and now they haven't got him. Did, that was before they went and they clicked him the way they did. So things yeah. did change in that respect. I like it from the city point of view, uh, in that I think they didn't necessarily need him in the first place, and I'm more intrigued to see what Pep could do yeah. with a different player that, than yeah. Alexis, perhaps. Well, I mean, I wrote, I wrote this in a piece I did yesterday about why you might choose United over City, but from hearing a few people in the game and from people from Barca. They were surprised that Pep was so in for him again, given how he used to play under Pep at... You left on the bench Yeah, to 2011-12. But also, I mean, the, the big thing they always said, a Guardiola player, what Guardiola's fundamental is, no matter what position, you get the ball, you have a look up, and you, you display that kind of pause that Barca have and that, that awareness. Yeah. Whereas Sanchez's first instinct, and this is never going to be beaten out of him, get the ball, head down, burrow, go. I going to... Um, this would have been March 2013, so... Um, back when Sanchez was playing for Barcelona and they mm. were, had a Champions League game at Paris Saint-Germain oh, yeah. last 16 which they drew two all and obviously like in, obviously this was after Pep left um, but it was you know the Barca team trying to play a similar way and he just couldn't do it like because like you say like he'd get the he'd, he'd get the ball to cut inside head down get a shot off mm. and he'd always have you know he'd have like Messi and Pedro and all his teammates kind of running around him trying to receive the ball but he would, uh, he kind of wouldn't really be interested in what yeah, he's yeah. doing. It's actually bit... He just thinks, but, get uh, the but, ball, look at goal. And in a weird way, I mean, one of the kind of uh, dominant debates of the past uh, two years, say, has been how Mourinho's approach is outdated, how he doesn't kind of orchestrate teams in the way the kind of modern managers do. Uh, and while I generally think that's probably true and fair, it might be flipped for Sanchez. Cause I think his individualism could actually suit Mourinho better and, and vice versa. I, I agree because sometimes they do look like they lack a plan in attack. Yeah. Sanchez just driving 30 yards, 40 yards with the ball would be helpful. But the brilliant them. thing about Sanchez is you don't really need a plan. Like he's yeah. meant that Arsenal haven't had to have a plan because you give him the ball on the edge of the box and he'll probably score or he'll do something, he'll do something smart yeah. with it. And that takes the pressure off like having to actually work hard to create chances. Yeah, when yeah. you saw Arsenal the other day, 
it was like this is a team who were used to being able to give someone the ball on the edge of the box and he'd do something and now all of a sudden you've got Iwobi, Lacazette and Welbeck standing there waiting for something to happen. Yeah. So he will kind of solve that problem for United. It's been a thing at Barcelona where they, they need the, the fourth forward that you know, they had it after they signed Suarez. They had the MSN, which everyone was really excited about. But beyond that, there was uh, the 2015-16 season when um, Messi was out for eight weeks or so. Hmm. And they were had Sandro and Munir uh, rotating in. And they ended up trying to sign about eight different players and ended up with Paco Alcacer and stuff. And before that, Jose, uh, not Jose, Pep had a problem with it as well because Sanchez was effectively his fourth guy yeah. at Barcelona. And he didn't play exactly how they wanted. And that's why he stayed on the bench. And hmm. that's why he never... Uh, really, perhaps lived up to expectations when uh, from when Barcelona signed from uh, Udinese. I think Pep wants a guy at Man City who can be the backup, and he knows that is going to be absolutely completely fitting yeah. in with his plans. I look, I look at their squad, and I think they've got enough of those already. Yeah, yeah. But there is the impression that he wants another another guy because that's the bit in their team which he, I think, is most proud of the attacking movement mm. and he wants, he needs people who can just slot in because that's their trademark. And it does look like, you know, apart from, they're, they're always, obviously very strong on defensive positional play, but one-on-one defensive play mm. is not good. Uh, John Stones has now made three major errors in... He's just back from injury. He's still recovering from error. Uh, but he has, though. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But you know, I, in, in, what, is that the last three big games he's played mm. in? He's made a mistake in each of them, as far as I'm aware. You know, it, it's... It's something that you you know you said earlier you can expose that defence and I think that if Pep puts the money into strengthening the back line rather than getting another Alexis Sanchez they might be better off. Um, with Sanchez's departure, I guess we do need to mention Arsenal because they're looking at Malcolm from Bordeaux. We're gonna have a big uh, piece on him uh, from Jack Lang, which is coming Go shortly, Langer. and you're gonna to want to read that because he's talked to. Everyone, pretty much, that Malcolm has ever known or met. Uh, And uh, it's going to be really good. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What do you think uh, this is going to be for Arsenal? I mean, it, without having seen loads of Bordeaux this season, it feels no, like... None of Bordeaux, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> no, I mean... Uh, I, I saw him a couple of times in Brazil, but I've never, I don't think, seen him play for Bordeaux. So we're looking at a 45, 50 million pound youngster mm. to replace Alexis Sanchez. The ceiling, you'd hope, would be high. But this feels like Arsenal are going to have to basically start the whole thing again. Yeah. You know, is there any other way of putting it? It's a player who would be signed for 
a project that's building. Sorry about using the word project. Instead, it's the opposite, and he's coming into the death throes of... Yeah, like for me, the obvious the obvious players for Arsenal now, and they would both be 60 or 70 million, hmm. probably Zaha and Mares, just because they need like kind of guaranteed Premier League yeah. performance. They can't... They can't afford to take another risk. You're right. Like Malcolm would be a good player, maybe in six or twelve months' time, if they've got a new manager mm. and they're trying to kind of re- rebuild something with a sort of three to five year plan. But at the moment, they need someone who can start winning them games because yeah. they don't have. I mean, they are. Biz- I can't remember the last time they had so few match winners in the team. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is a point that's been made over and over again. But they've got no. They've got no one to turn games for them anymore. And that's why they need someone it's who can a do ma- it. It's a massively right se- it's seven out of ten squad. Six out of ten. I, I just mm. don't know how you, you know, you you either need to have one summer of huge investment in that squad to turn it around, or you're just going to need some of them to turn into absolute superstars. Basically, yeah, it is how I see it. Either Danny Welbeck needs to become like a twenty goal, thirty goal a season guy. Mm. Iwobi needs to become. <laughs> he needs to step up to the elite or something. You mm. know how? Or Lacazette. They spent fifty-two million pounds on Alexandre Lacazette at the end of the day. Yeah. And but you, the other side of all of this, we look at this squad and we're kind of like not unjustifiably dismissing it. Yeah, I, I, there's some of these players who the way that we've seen this happen so often in the last few years, a new manager, a new kind of bright young coach come in, and suddenly so many of those players are transformed. And you're kind of thinking, wow. That... Yeah, like the the situation that I kind of compare it, like the recent situation you could compare it to, is. Tottenham under tactics Tim <laughs> like that was a team which yeah. at the time people looked at that squad and said oh so many average players yeah, they've yeah. bought really badly they've, they've spent the bail money wrongly they need to start again with a whole new bunch of players mm. in reality Pochettino has turned lots of those players into some of his most yeah. into some of his most well, important do, 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 players do you, do you remember how Chris Ericsson, Dembele, Vertonghen yeah. like they're but all it's the same guys do you remember Vertonghen he was hammered after they got thrashed under Sherwood at, at, at Liverpool yeah. Sherwood uh, like Sherwood hated Vertonghen yeah and I know he's like one of the most solid players. Right, yeah. It's almost as if Tim Sherwood wasn't that good a coach. <laughs> maybe, maybe, Ed. I think I, we come had on. To, <laughs> let's rule nothing out. But um, but yeah, you're right. Like the example of like the transformative power of Pochino at Tottenham shows that no squad is as bad, or sometimes the squad isn't as bad as it looks. And sometimes yeah. the fault is the manager. And it might well be that if Wenger could be replaced by a kind of Pochettino equivalent, which is obviously what they need. Mm. You know, a lot of these guys like Iwobi, who Pochettino himself, yeah, could look like very good players in in a year's time. Can you imagine how much it would kick off if Pochettino took the Arsenal job? <laughs> it, I mean, it it would be one of the great of all time stories. I guess uh, the traffic would go through the roof. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, good. Uh, I, I can't not mention it. It's the front page of Ass today, uh, and. It's almost at the point where we should ignore these stories because yeah. every single year, Cristiano Ronaldo lets it be known through his usual channels mm. how unhappy he is at Real Madrid earning all this money and scoring, winning, winning and scoring all these, these tap-ins. Yeah. And um, this latest one, the front page of, uh, of Ass says, and I'll, uh, I'll read the exact headline, it is, Cristiano wants to go to Manchester United. That is as simple as it is. Uh, underneath it just says, according to El Larguero, which is a... Uh, well-known radio show, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah, radio show. Uh, Florentino will offer him uh, <laughs> offer him to Man United to get money to sign Neymar. In Madrid, there is this sort of belief or delusion, depending on where you come from, mm. that Neymar only moved to Paris Saint-Germain <laughs> yeah. uh, to get his dream move to Real Madrid. Even though he's reported you're regretting leaving Barca and yeah. would love to go back. Conveniently forgetting, um, of course, that it would take 
all the money in the world to convince PSG to sell him. Yeah. You know, how Real Madrid think they could afford to strong arm PSG into selling Neymar, I don't particularly understand. Yeah. You know, like what what what's their tactic here? Can't see it happening to be honest. <laughs> Neymar's gonna dump in a transfer yeah, request yeah. after six months. Can't see it happening. Um Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United, Miguel. Can't see that happening either. You what out of ten, what do you think? One. Likelihood. One one out of ten. Especially after they if they sign Alexis. If actually if they don't get Alexis, you you never know. But I still like it's just Do you think Jose think Mourinho just, wants to sign Cristiano Ronaldo? No. Do you think Ed Wood wants Ed Woodward wants to sign Cristiano Ronaldo? Only for the commercial value. Uh, so that, that's why it probably couldn't be completely ruled out. But even even Woodward, like last summer when these stories came up yet again, the word from United was they were kind of really wary of it. And kind of this this is probably the same old games. It's a contract ploy every single time. Mm. Actually, has there, has there been a year where Ronaldo has actually this? I mean, let's let's give cut back to two thousand eight, two thousand nine. This was Ronaldo's dream move, mm-hmm. and has there been a year at Madrid where he hasn't been, you know, stroppy for a for a concerted period? They didn't win anything big between two thousand nine and twenty twelve, bar the league, bar the cup. Um, but Barca were winning all before them, so that irritated them. Twenty twelve was t- there was already problems at Mourinho, um, and Ren- Ronaldo and Mourinho never had a good relationship. But they won uh, the title that year. Yeah, yeah. Was uh, it was it twenty thirteen? Twenty thirteen was the big contract. Yeah, that, that, that was the first time it looked like, and it, it did look at times that year when he, his return to United could be back. I mean, that was it was. Christmas 2012-13 when Ferguson had been in touch with Ronaldo and, mm. and it was just before Ferguson retired so that obviously helped scupper it as well but it did look like it could be possible what year was he when he said he was to this day uh, was it 2014 that, that must have been 14 then I was there 15-16 mm. another contract ploy by Ronaldo again ends up signing a five year extension at what point do we just say just Forget it. Like you know, no, I, 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 for me, I can't see what club would take him now. Even, yeah. even, but I, can, and, yeah. and this is crazy for the Ballon d'Or. I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah. It, but but, it, but it's. I mean, despite the Ballon d'Or, I don't Ballon think he should have won the Ballon d'Or. I, but whatever. no, he shouldn't have. And despite the recent Champions League, this is a player who, since 2013, has showed clear signs of decline. Now he has been clever enough to kind of manage him, manage himself and change his position, but yet he's still. Well, he, he, even even it's like his game is gradually becoming more reduced, more reduced, more reduced to the point we have now, where he's quite immobile. He's not even scoring that much. What's his return at the moment? Uh, I can't even look. At it. I mean, they're so far behind; it's mm. almost pointless. the The thing that strikes me is he's basically been in the best, most the best squad in the world, mm. most attacking team in the world in a fairly uneven league, playing the exact position he wants when mm. the entire team is geared towards him which obviously has helped him inflate numbers immensely. Mm. Now, he does come up big in, in big moments. You know, There were times when I was watching him every week there, and I was just like, this guy's done. Yeah, yeah. And then he comes up with a hat-trick in yeah, the yeah. Champions League quarterfinal against Wolfsburg to complete but, but, the remontada. But, but Bayern last year, was, I was at that game as well. And that was the, he, Even last year, he was terrible until, the, until that semi-final against Bayern. Quarterfinal, quarter yeah, 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 yeah. And then he can just flip everything on its head. He mm. is kind of a difficult player to write off because of the amount of times, you know, he's, he's essentially like, you know, a goal scoring cyborg at this point. Yeah. He's just a robot who's just, you know, he's built himself up from spindly little teenager to this just mm. like hulking goal machine. And he gets very upset when Real Madrid aren't doing well, basically. Mm. And, and this latest one, I, I think obviously it's going to come to nothing because I don't think Manchester United would pay 
anything close to what Real Madrid would expect. What do you think will happen? Do you think he will just continue to play for Real Madrid because it's a kind of, he doesn't actually want to go anywhere else and they don't actually want anyone else to have him? My, my Real Madrid thing is, uh, from what I've heard, there is the chance of a, a fairly decent turnover this summer. They're going to have to go out and buy a big name. Yeah. Because Bale questions, Ronaldo questions, even Benzema. Even, even Modric, no, is, can't play a game. Uh, a I can't, I can't criticise Modric. The way he's played the last three seasons has mm. probably been the best midfielder in the world. I think, you know, age showing a little bit. Just give him a hand. Just give mm. him another player alongside him who, who's mm. really good. The forward line is the problem because Bale can't play a couple of games in a row. You know, that calf problem is a, a huge issue. Ronaldo, we've discussed at length. Karim Benzema is the guy that's taken the most flack for this season. Yeah. And, and he's been basically outright poor. They sold Morata. They sold Mariano, who were the two backups. Um, you've got Asensio and Isco, I guess, who are kind of the future. But it feels like it needs a remodeling. Yeah. And they're probably going to have to go out and buy someone like Dybala or Griezmann purely because they need someone young. They need younger guys yeah. and they need really, really good players and they need big names to kind of reinvigorate this if thing. If they were to get like a kind of Conte or Pochettino to replace Zidane, who are Conte kind of be a great two choice. obvious names, mm. would, they <clears> want, <throat> would they want like a, someone like Ronaldo who does as little work for the team as he does? Con- I mean... I, I think actually Conte could... You, you, how, how would he fit in a Conte team? Well, I think Conte would find a way. What would be interesting for me, uh, and not to give away any good hashtag content ideas, <laughs> if when Zidane goes is looking at like kind of the four different candidates yeah. and what they would do with the yeah, existing yeah. Real Madrid squad. Because Conte with Bale, Ronaldo and Benzema, they're not the sort of forward players he'd actually want, yeah, yeah. I don't think. But I'd be fascinated to see how he would use them. But he, I mean, Conte, the way he thinks about the game, I and mean, Chelsea the proof of that, he said, like, right, he wants a certain style, doesn't get it, and then he sees what he has and actually... He can, he can kind of form the shape yeah, in his head. Yeah, he can adapt his, his shapes. Um, uh, but another side of Ronaldo thing, it's how history could actually replay itself. I mean, he's probably Madrid's most dominant figure since Di Stefano and probably yep. their best player after after Di Stefano. Um, and Di Stefano in the mid-60s was forced out of that club by Bernabeu, basically. Left on really bad terms. Um, in fact, it was, it was a complete breakdown of relationship. Ended up, I think, it was going to Espanol. And we could be see that play out, playing out again. I don't. No, obviously not. Ronaldo went to Espanol. Yeah, but no, in no, terms of kind of, how much do we think they're going to force? I mean, for me, I, I, I've thought Ronaldo should, at some point, go to like LAFC or something, mm. and, and he will become a, an even bigger superstar than he already is in, in many ways. But I, I have this feeling that if you let Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale go in the same mm. summer, which is which is possible, you're going to need to buy a genuine superstar. I don't know which genuine superstar is going to be out there this mm. summer. You know who. They they would almost have to go and get Dybala and Griezmann. Yeah. I can't even think of anyone Actually, else. Actually, you wonder, given how given Barca's financial situation, could Griezmann be an option for uh, for Real suddenly? Well, uh, you have to think so. Mm. I mean, they they haven't got that deal anymore, right? Or no, it was supposedly mm. it was only for youth players. I mm. think um, I think Florentino said that the handshake agreement between Atletico and Real Madrid, not to sign each other's players, was only youth players. Mm. Um, and that first team signings were allowed, which is why the Teo Hernandez deal went through last year. So, if Real Madrid stump up 100 million euros for Griezmann, I think it's a good deal for everyone. Yeah, I mean, terrible for Atletico Madrid to lose him to your most hated cross. Well, he's, he's not been great for a while. Uh, he's looked better with Costa alongside mm. him. Um, Atletico will be an interesting team in the second half of the season. Any other transfer stuff, Jack, that you want to talk about? 
No. No, not really. Definitely bored of the transfer window already. Uh, yeah, I prefer actual football. Yeah. Paul, Paul uh, Lambert's going to Stoke, which yeah, I want O'Neill Stoke, to take that job. Stoke City's wild ride. Uh, <laughs> all in on Kike Sanchez-Flores in the end. In Barcelona, I think they've got him tied up. Mm. It looks to all the world like he's given them the okay because all the news comes out of Spain that it's, it's done, done, done. Uh, next morning, he gives a press conference and says he's staying at Espanyol. They have to go back to Martin O'Neill, who's already had what some embarrassing thing where he had to fly back to Dublin. Miguel, what's this? Um, it was a, a gala dinner. So on fr- on Friday night, the Irish football writers had their had their annual banquet, and um, O'Neill initially said he wasn't going to go. Then the expectation was he would leave the Irish job as he openly courted another job. Um, he got a lot of criticism for that. A lot of kind of uh, there was some. <laughs> Harsh words written, <laughs> well not harsh words, I would say justifiable words written uh, by the, but fairly brutal truths by some of the football writers. And then Friday morning he decides to go to their, to their banquet. But uh, there was initially expectation that he would have to sit beside, uh, I think, some, some, of the, some of the guys organising it that had written harsh pieces. But in the end he actually requested a table with only Football of Asso- Association of Ireland figures on it. So he didn't talk to anyone. Oh, that's lovely. So uh, <laughs> is he staying with Ireland? So he turned down the Stoke job second well, after Kike. It looks like they're going to brazen this out, then. And I, even though he's on a ro- he's on a rolling contract or or whatever the situation is, because he didn't he hasn't actually signed the new deal yet. But having so openly flirted with Stoke, he's now going to go back to this job and sign a new deal. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, it lo- it, I suppose it looks likely. It still it still hasn't happened. Um, but then even like it, it was interesting. He thought that he did turn re- turn down Stoke because it, it must have been that he was That's ir- surely ir- only ego. Yeah, but, but, down but, but, but then I, I also I also heard yesterday that. Most at Stoke, and that is, I mean, for all perceptions, that is quite a forward-thinking hierarchy. But the only person in the club that wanted him was uh, was Coates. But it is a club where, you know, it is essentially a family-run club, and you could see things going wrong there fairly quickly. Because Lambo, even look, there were we were talking about potentially Mark Hughes leaving hmm. for ages beforehand. It felt like every single podcast, it felt like Hughes was in trouble. Eventually, they lose to Coventry, as predicted by Jack. And uh, Mark Hughes goes. And they, they didn't have any plan in place. Yeah. Now, they must have been thinking about sacking him for at least four to six weeks beforehand. They, they had no plan whatsoever beyond we want Premier League experience, which is also just, I mean, just a bonkers thing to say. Like, you really want Paul Lambert over, say, yeah. like one of the better managers in the championship? Premier League or, experience, or, yeah. or someone from La Liga or someone from... Like, if you you know if if you're ambitious, go like balls out and go and try and get Marcelino mm. from uh, Valencia or someone someone who's really good, someone yeah. who's proven they can do really good things. Instead, you're looking at sacked Premier League managers. Kike Sanchez Flores has had one season in the Premier League with Watford, mm. um, at which uh, he left after that season. They they hired Walter Mazzari because they thought that was an upgrade. Mazzari was in the picture uh, until he took the Torino job. You've got. Um, Martin O'Neill, who hasn't managed in the Premier League for Sunderland's, and that was did not go. Yeah, was a, a moribund team, like disastrous, really. Um, They're looking at Slavin Bilic, who left West Ham because his team was essentially like a, a pot of jelly. They just mm. had no shape whatsoever. Well, I, I actually, Bilic would have been a good short-term appointment for Stoke because he's yeah. quite good. At he could have got in and rallied them. Actually, yeah. I do agree with that. Mm. But I, uh, his team tactically, Jack, as you said repeatedly, a total mm. mess. So Stoke, you say one of the better around the clubs. If you can't, if you don't have the foresight to look ahead and before sacking a manager and think, who are we going to hire? And at least, you know, talk mm. to them. Let's be honest, you're not supposed to, but these things happen all of the time. Why on earth should we think Stoke 
have done the right thing. Why on earth should we think Stoke will stay up this season? Yeah, I mean, Lambert did pretty well at Norwich six years ago. Mm. Uh, struggled with Villa, admittedly, in a club that was heading in the wrong direction. It was a disaster. Yeah. It was a disaster. I mean, it's, not his, it's not his oh, fault oh, Villa was terrible. How much of his good season with Villa was down to having Ben, ben Teke having yeah. a regular, what now looks like a... <laughs> Yeah, oh, Benteke then, was really good until that knee injury, basically. Yeah, that knee injury robbed him of his explosion. Didn't do much in difficult circumstances at Blackburn and Wolves. Yeah. So um, there's not really much to much reason to get excited about Lambert, Lambert at Stoke City. Oh, I it's, mean, am- I it's amazing. It's amazing. I wonder yeah. if this is a short-term appointment and they hope they can get someone better than themselves. It, 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 well, it is amazing how much those very words you mentioned, quote, Premier League experience, those three words seem to blind people to this. Yeah. Well, there was talk of Gary Rowett, you know, mm. and I know he's signing a new contract with Derby. I would rather hire Gary Rowett than someone like Paul Lambert. Uh, I think he gave him the nod and then basically a cold feet. I, I got that impression, mm. or, or it was a contract ploy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think it was a contract ploy. You don't think it was? You no. think there are also, you know, there, there are other guys in the championship who I think are deserving of a chance. Mm. I don't think there's that much difference between the top eight and ten in the in the championship and the bottom six in the Premier League. I really yeah. don't think. Well, look, look at that. I think that. we've bottom, seen that every look, look year. Look at that bottom ten at the moment. Yeah. Like. Uh, uh, speaking of which, uh, do you want to touch on any of the other results or not? I mean, uh, it was one of those one of those weekends where again the entire bottom half shifted. Mm. Um, producer Matt will give you one second in, in the sun. You're at Chelsea Leicester for Ben Chilwell's 68th minute red card and no goals. Talk to us about it. Uh, one thing in particular was how frustrated Conte was after the game with his players. He was really he was just blaming tiredness, but I think. Um, he was linking to the fact that he's not having much control over transfers. He said, when he was asked about Sanchez at the very end, he didn't say he wanted to mention anyone in particular, then says, it's not my business. Well, um, when you're a manager who's made it clear that you're probably going to be off at the end of the season, mm. I don't know how you can expect to have such a big say in transfers, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, what, give me all these players now so I can piss off in six <laughs> months' time. Yeah. Like, absolute nonsense. Uh, I was at Palace Burnley. Um, uh, I was with an American who asked me, why aren't they passing it on the floor? That tells you the sort of game I was watching. Okay. Uh, but it was uh, it was quite good fun, actually. Burnley, mm. Burnley, I mean, Burnley are a very well-coached side and they conceded one goal that was basically, you know, they defend so deep that they block like every shot. They throw mm. themselves in front of everything, which is incredible. And then one just takes a little deflection and goes past the keeper and there's nothing you can do about it. I've got it. a lovely trip to Burnley on Saturday. First time. Turf, I mean, really interesting sort of place. Like, you know, you can see the industrial revolution heights of Burnley. Yep. And you can see everything that's happened since. Is, it, is, it, is, the, is, the, is the Lowry painting, is that about Turf Moor, is it? The famous? Uh, no, it's from Salford. Okay. But yeah, a good walk. There's a massive Tesco's. Uh, you walk past that, pick up um, a pie, good pie. Hmm. And then roll down to Turf Moor. It's it's a bit like Sellers Park, I guess. It's like a classic kind of. Does crap, have Sainsbury's crap, building the stand? Not quite. No, uh, and that's, that's Sainsbury's. That's my favourite part about Sellers Park. Well, you know, have you seen the plans for the new five-story glass facade? Yeah. With an increased Sainsbury's. So uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. Huddersfield <laughs> one, West Ham four. By the way, Jack, West Ham. Used David Moyes, the Moyesire. Yeah, I mean, everything Moyes, I said about Moyes, Moyes was wrong. Moyes. He's a football genius. Looking for he, a good he, time. He's going to save West Ham on his own. Yeah, like, he, he is. He's actually completely turned that club around. Yeah. He is, although I kind of wonder whether... I mean, he's he's done really well, um, but equally, they need to spend more money on players. Yeah. Uh, and if they use Moyes' success to get out of doing any reinvestment, then they're going to be terrible next season as well. 
a really good transfer policy at that club, so I really trust them to do the right thing. Newcastle won, Swansea won. Watford 2, Southampton 2, last minute equaliser from Watford, a clear handball, uh, you know, which is uh, not the sort of thing P- Pellegrino needed, bearing in mind kind of all the stuff he's had to deal with recently. West Brom beat Brighton 2-0, Tottenham beat Everton 4-0. Brighton's defeat uh, means they're one of the big losers. They're only three points clear of relegation now. Swansea, West Brom and Stoke in the bottom three. Could see all those three going. Yeah, I mean Southampton are just one point above relegation because of that handball. What, what's what's goal. the gap from tenth to twentieth at the moment? To six, is it? Seven points from ninth. Jesus. To relegation. That can, uh, can from, change from, from from bottom to ninth is ten points. Uh, I'd say Everton are probably safe. Everton on twenty-seven. Watford twenty-six. West Ham and Palace twenty-five. Bournemouth and Huddersfield 24, Newcastle Brighton 23, Southampton 21, and the bottom three on 2019, and Swansea on 17 look like in trouble. Uh, you still think Man City are going to win the league? Yeah. Jack? Yeah. And on that bombshell, uh, we will end the podcast for the week. I'd like to thank producer Matt for his uh, insight on Chelsea Leicester. Uh, thank you, Jack and Miguel, for coming in. I know uh, Miguel's very sleepy. He's only mentioned it 25 times. Uh, and we will all see you next Long week. Back you you won't be here next week, uh, no. but we will have the return of the Great White Lou. Johnny Lou uh, is back from Australia. He's back from his holidays. I'll be back from Japan. Jack, you'll be back from Southampton, Tottenham. Southampton, Tottenham. Good one. Good one. This has been the Indie Football Podcast. Remember to rate and review on iTunes. Thank you to our friends at Acast and uh, Google and Facebook. And uh, we will see you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.